I invite you to open your Bible or one of the few Bibles to the Gospel according to Luke chapter 10 for the reading of God's Word beginning at verse 25, a passage familiarly known to us as the parable of the Good Samaritan. This is, uh, as we continue the series through the Ten Commandments, this being the 18th sermon thus far, and part three on the Sixth Commandment, you shall not murder. Before we read God's Word, by way of introduction, let us receive the instruction from the Heidelberg Catechism, which is focusing on the positive application of the Sixth Commandment, and that's our focus today, the positive application of the Sixth Commandment. Let us read responsively. Is it enough, then, that we do not kill our neighbor in any such way? No, by doing envy, hatred, and anger, God tells us to love our neighbors as ourselves, to be patient, to love, Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks that you have revealed yourself, your word, your will, your way, and the way of salvation through Jesus Christ. We ask in his name now for the blessing of the Holy Spirit, that you would illumine our minds with spiritual understanding, that you would open our hearts and grant us ears to hear so that by your Spirit's working in us, we might be more deeply convicted, deeply converted, deeply consecrated unto you. We ask it for the glory of your name, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us hear the Word of God. It is written. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite. When he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. 
Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Now unto him who loves us, who has freed us from our sins by his blood, to Jesus Christ be all praise, honor, and glory forever. Amen. The parable of the Good Samaritan is one of Jesus' most beloved parables. But I doubt that many people would immediately connect the parable of the Good Samaritan with the Ten Commandments or with the Sixth Commandment in particular. So this morning, without covering every point of this passage, I want to simply to look at or, or look through the parable as a lens in order to see the positive application of the Sixth Commandment. You shall not murder. First, a review. Two weeks ago, Pastor Jonathan laid the foundation for our understanding of the Sixth Commandment by taking us back to Genesis 1, 26, 27. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. The foundation of the Sixth Commandment is the sanctity of human life created in the image of God. The Sixth Commandment, you shall not murder, affirms and protects the sanctity of human life. Then, last Sunday, in part two on the Sixth Commandment, we heard Jesus' words from the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus' point is that the Ten Commandments have to do not only with the letter of the law, but also the spirit of the law. Jesus' point is that God judges our obedience to his law, not only in terms of our external, literal obedience to the letter, but also our internal, spiritual, attitudinal obedience to the spirit of the law. The sixth commandment, therefore, prohibits and condemns malice, rash anger, vengefulness, vindictiveness, bitterness, envy, resentment, and ill will. But that now leads us to today's point, which is that when the commandments, each one of them, when the commandments prohibit something negatively, they simultaneously command something positively. So, you shall not murder positively requires you shall do all in your power to protect and to promote the life of your neighbor as well as your own. John Calvin wrote this about the positive application of the sixth commandment. We are accordingly commanded if we find anything of use to us in saving our neighbor's lives faithfully to employ it. If there is anything harmful 
to ward it off if they are in any danger to lend a helping hand. So the sixth commandment, you shall not murder, requires us not only to refrain from literal physical homicide in all of its various forms, which we addressed last Sunday, and from emotional or attitudinal murder, murder in our hearts, but it also requires us positively, both externally and attitudinally, to protect and to promote the life of our neighbor. And that gets us to the parable of the Good Samaritan. Does it really have to do with the sixth commandment? Well, let's see. First of all, look at the context of the parable, the reason Jesus told it. Behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? You see, Jesus was pointing the lawyer back to the law of God. And the lawyer replied with a good answer. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. The lawyer gave a very good answer, the correct answer. Do you notice? He answered with the summary of the moral law of God, the summary of the Ten Commandments as found on the two tablets of the commandments. Love God with all your being and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this is the same answer which Jesus himself gave to the question, which is the greatest commandment? And so Jesus said to the lawyer, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Did you hear that? Jesus was not simply congratulating the lawyer for his correct answer. There was a little barb (laughs) pricking his conscience. Do this and you will live. You know the right answer. Now do it. You see what's going on? Um, The lawyer had come to put Jesus to the test, but now in in his brilliant way of Handling this, Jesus was putting him to the test. And it didn't sit easy with the lawyer. And Luke tells us that the lawyer, desiring to justify himself. Now, notice that phrase very, very carefully. Desiring to justify himself. His conscience had been pricked. He was feeling morally vulnerable. So, Desiring to to justify himself, meaning to desiring to show that he really was in a good standing vis-a-vis the law, right? Desiring to, to make himself look good and righteous 
in his own eyes and in the eyes of Jesus and of the others standing around in an effort now to slice and dice God's law in order to prove that he really did keep God's law and that he was worthy of the esteem and the respect of the Jewish community of which he was a leader, desiring to justify himself, desiring to show that he was in conformity with the law of God, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? It was not a sincere question. He was trying desperately to get off the hook. He again, you see, was trying to put Jesus to the test, which is, by the way, always a bad move. This is where the parable begins. But now remember, Jesus tells this parable in the context of a discussion about the moral law of God, the Ten Commandments. The lawyer's question, who is my neighbor, is a question which arises directly out of this discussion about the second tablet of the commandment. That's our clue. This parable really does have something to do with the Ten Commandments and with the Sixth Commandment in particular. You remember the parable? A man, an unidentified man, an unnamed man, that is to say a generic man, which is to say any man, was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. A stretch of road was, was difficult and dangerous, and sure enough, he was waylaid by robbers and stripped and beaten and left for dead. It was a very realistic possibility on that road in those days. A Jewish priest, religious leader, came along. But instead of helping the victim, he passed by on the other side of the road, probably to be avoid being ceremonially defiled by contact with a dead body. So in his mind, he had a pretty good excuse not to get involved, except for the fact that the man wasn't dead yet. Then a Levite, that's a priest of a very special order, came along. When he saw the victim... He passed by on the other side. Like the priest before him, the Levite didn't bother, didn't even bother to cross the road to check on the man. The victim was of no concern to him. Maybe this priest and the Levite, and remember, these are fictional characters in a parable. They, they didn't regard that victim as their neighbor. I mean, maybe in their minds, the victim didn't qualify as their neighbor because he wasn't a member of their local community, uh, he wasn't in their particular family clan, or in their particular religious circle, uh, you know, Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes and etc. So anyway, this way of limiting the definition of neighbor was probably behind the lawyer's question, and who is my neighbor? You see, th th this was the rationale, this was the justification which the real-life lawyer was looking for. And that is that some people can be excluded from the category of neighbor. But then Jesus let loose with the zinger. A Samaritan came upon him. And when he saw him, had compassion. Now, the zinger is this. Samaritans were despised by the Jews. The Jews certainly 
did not regard Samaritans as neighbors. There's a long historical backstory I won't go into, but in Jesus' day, the Samaritan religion was a mixture of Israelite and pagan religion. And they didn't worship in Jerusalem, which was required of true Jews. And the first century Jews would have nothing to do with them and regarded them as unclean. And to put it simply, in the eyes of the first century Jew, there was no such thing as a good Samaritan. But now... Jesus makes the Samaritan the virtuous hero of the story. And you see, by doing so, Jesus destroyed the notion that anyone could ever be excluded from the category of neighbor. Repeat that. By making the Samaritan the hero, as it were, Jesus destroyed the notion that anyone could ever be excluded from the category of neighbor. In the parable, the Samaritan went over to see the victim and bound up his wounds, pouring expensive oil and wine on them. He put the man on his own animal and took him to an end and took further care of him. The next day, the Samaritan paid the innkeeper two denarii to cover the victim's room and board for several days with the promise of covering any further expense after he returned. So what did the good Samaritan do? He took care of the man, an unidentified, unnamed man, a man he did not know, at the expense of his own time, energy, inconvenience, and money. He treated an unknown, unidentified man as his neighbor. He loved his neighbor as himself. And in so doing, the Good Samaritan obeyed the sixth commandment. He took the sixth commandment, you shall not murder, and translated it into positive action. You shall protect and preserve and promote the life of your neighbor. The priest and the Levite, however, the religious experts who thought that they had justification for ignoring and neglecting this victim, had actually violated the sixth commandment. They were guilty of murder, at least in their hearts. Now, here's the question. You know, Jesus told parables in order to draw us into them. So, where are you? Who are you in this parable? Have you ever passed by on the other side? That's the other zinger. Jesus told this parable so that you and I would see ourselves as a priest and a Levite. Have you ever passed by on the other side? 
If you have ever passed by on the other side, as have I. If you've ever passed by on the other side, as have I. You need a sinless, substitutionary Savior. A sinless, substitutionary, sacrificial Savior for the forgiveness of your sins and your violation of the Sixth Commandment. I need that Savior. And God has graciously provided that Savior, Jesus Christ. After Jesus concluded the parable, he asked the lawyer, which of these do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The man said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. That's the call to discipleship. Go and do likewise. And again, Jesus had turned the tables on the lawyer who tried to put him on the t- to the test because the man had asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And here's the deal. Jesus' parable and his final instruction showed the man that the question, who is my neighbor, is the wrong question. I mean, Jesus didn't really answer that question. It's the wrong question. It's the wrong question because according to Jesus, according to the law of God, according to the principle of the sanctity of human life, every human being created in the image of God is my neighbor. And so the real and the right question is, am I living as a neighbor? Do I treat others as my neighbor? Do I really love my neighbor, the unknown, unidentified neighbor, as myself? Do I value his or her life created in the image of God as I value my own? That's the question. And here's the basic takeaway for the positive application of the sixth commandment as seen in the parable of the Good Samaritan. The parable is a dramatic story which Jesus told in order to make a vivid point. So let's don't focus on, let's don't get hung up on the dramatic details of the story. Because because our takeaway application isn't necessarily about rescuing someone in the ditch, in a dramatic or dangerous or self-endangering situation. You don't have to go there. I really don't think that that, the, the drama, the danger, the darkness the scariness. I don't think that was Jesus' point. More often than not, our application won't involve these kinds of dramatic or scary or potentially dangerous situations. But here's Jesus' point that we can all apply in some way every day. The good Samaritan saw a man in need, a man he did not know a man who wasn't his friend, a man who wasn't his next-door neighbor, a a, a man who wasn't even a distant acquaintance, simply a man in need, a man created in the image of God. The good Samaritan responded to the man's need. It inconvenienced him. It cost him some time. It cost him some money. And he got nothing in return, at least not in earthly terms. What is Jesus teaching us? He is teaching us what it means to be a neighbor. 
who loves his or her neighbor without any restriction or limitation or boundary on the definition of neighbor. That's positive application of the sixth commandment. You shall not murder in its positive application means that we are to value the life of the unknown neighbor, the unknown man or unknown woman as we value our own simply because, simply because he or she is like us created in the image of God. And so the parable of the Good Samaritan teaches us to put our love for neighbor into action as obedience to the sixth commandment. First John 3.18 says, let us love not in word or speech, but in truth and action. Now, there are ways that we as a congregation corporately seek to do this in mission as we partner with mission agencies such as Christian Community Ministries and Life Choices and Mercy Multiplied and our Guatemala mission work, our global denominational missionaries and our global response to world relief and in response to disasters and such. And and in those ways, it takes place at the corporate and macro level. But it also takes place more powerfully, I think, at the personal level. In those daily encounters we have as individuals in which we have the opportunity sometimes in very, very small but important ways to give help and aid and service to someone in need for the sake of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, we live in a toxic culture full of venomous malice being spewed out all the time. The most blessed nation in the world is becoming one of the most unhappiest places on earth to live emotionally and relationally. Let your light shine. Let your light shine. Let others see your good works and give praise to your Father in heaven. How do we do that? We do it in little ways. We can every day. simply by being willing to give help and aid and care and compassion to someone in need. The sixth commandment calls and commands us positively positively to be a good neighbor every day. And in some way, in every interaction with people every day, we have the opportunity to treat them with love and respect as our neighbor. In addition to these positive acts of love for the sake of our neighbor's well-being, there are other ways in which we are called to put the sixth commandment positively in action. And I'm going a little bit beyond the parable at this point. But again, with reference to the culture in which we live today, especially as we as Christians are going to be confronted more and more and more by the negative actions and words of others toward us, In terms of our internal, spiritual, attitudinal disposition toward others, the sixth commandment commands us positively to be peaceable, gentle, forbearing, merciful, compassionate, and forgiving. For example, from Romans chapter 12, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Repay no one evil for evil. If possible, 
so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, these instructions are likewise positive applications of the Sixth Commandment. But they are not teaching us simply to be nice. It's not about being nice. This is the Word of God instructing us to live as disciples, followers of Jesus Christ, who, as 1 Peter 3 says, suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. And as he was dying on the cross, he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. There it is. And it is there in the cross of Jesus that we see the real story. It's not a parable. It's the real story of real love really lived out toward us even when we were enemies. Romans 5.10 says, While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. God is the one who saw us in our desperate need, in our rebellion and enmity against Him, truly dead in our trespasses and sins. Jesus Christ is the one who saw us helpless, hopeless, and unable to do anything to save ourselves from the wrath of God. He saw us in the ditch, not near to death, but dead. And we are the very ones who, like the man in the ditch, in the parable, needed someone to come along and to rescue us at his own expense. And rescue us at his own expense, he did. His death gave us life. Remember that? He was murdered so that we might live. So let us turn anew to Him and come to Him in faith, love, and gratitude to receive anew the life which He and He alone offers. And by His love within us, Let us love our neighbor as ourselves so that more and more and more people will believe in Jesus Christ as Savior so that they might not perish but have everlasting life. To God be the glory. Amen. Let us pray. Our gracious Father and our God, we thank you for the glorious gospel of our Savior Jesus Christ who loved us and gave himself up for us. And we pray that by the working of your Spirit in our hearts and minds, we might more truly, fully, freely forsake ourselves and follow him 
as our Savior and Lord. In his name we pray. Amen. In response to the glorious gospel of our Savior Jesus Christ, let us stand to affirm our faith as we say together the Apostles' Creed, the faith of the one church throughout history of the history of the world and the history of the church. Let us affirm our faith. Christian, in whom do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And thence he shall come to 